I've been in this city for uh, 29 years. One more year than Derek. 29 years? Same year? 28 years? 28. It's 28 years. And uh, <laughs> thanks, son. <laughs> And some of you have been around for a while. I mean, uh, we were just talking uh, earlier with uh, Tony Marilyn and, and, and Jamie and Amanda, and Derek was in their wedding. Oh, my goodness. Like, he was a little ring bearer back then. <laughs> so if you weren't feeling old when you came in, look at Derek. Probably are feeling old now. I get it. <laughs> but, you know, uh, the reality is um, we're all on a journey. Everybody say journey. And we get so focused as North Americans on end product. You ever notice that? We're focused on destination. We're focused on, on culmination. We're focused on what do I get at the end? Reward, payment, uh, uh, you know, uh, the thing that we finish and we do and we say, here it is, I'm done, right? Yeah. We, miss, we miss the miracle of a thing called process. Yeah. I mean, Jesus loves the process that he has every one of us invested in. He loves the, the journey just as much as the end. He, in fact, he's already figured out the end. The end is, is, is the culmination of his kingdom. It's heaven. It's glory. He's got your, your street number and, and your, your house and lot and everything all picked out. It's all taken care of. The end's already done before the beginning, right? So what do we got left? The journey. The journey. God is so involved in our lives or wants to be in that journey. And, uh, you know, tonight I wanted to talk to you about uh, grace and power because I really believe that God wants to release his power in us for the journey. He wants us to be powerful people in the journey. He doesn't want us to be a people who, who lack any good thing. No, in fact, the Bible says that we would not lack any good thing, right? He wants us to be powerful people for the journey. You know, I was um, raised Catholic. Anybody else here raised Catholic? All right, got a few years. All right. Well, I was a good Catholic, but a bad boy. We were talking about it in the car on the way up. I said, I was a good Catholic. Barry said, you weren't a good Catholic. I said, yeah, I was. I was a good Catholic. I was just a bad person. Uh, but I was a good Catholic. And every Catholic here knows what I'm talking about. I was an altar boy, right? Come on. I, I served communion with the priest like I was like a, a you know, a, a, a higher up altar boy, I guess. You know, like I was, I was serving communion, you know, putting the, the, the communion emblems on people's tongues or in their hands, you know. I never understood why people still wanted to do the tongue thing. You know, yeah, it's like, uh, like that, right? Uh, but I, I, was, I was a lay server in the church and I was doing all this by the time I was like 11 years old. And, uh, and so, and I went to Mass every week. I was an excellent Catholic, and I went to Mass on Saturday, and I went to low Mass. Is there any, you guys know the difference? If you're not Catholic, I'll tell you the difference in a nutshell. Low Mass is you go, and all of the refrains or of the portions of liturgy are just spoken. In a high Mass, they're sung, right? And so it takes a lot longer to sing the, for the priest to sing out his portion and then for the congregation to sing back the refrains. So it goes from being like a half an hour to being a full hour. Like for a Catholic to sit there for a full hour, they're like, wow, that was a long service. Was, you know, sometimes you Pentecostals, you get going, and it's like three hours later, like, woo, we're just getting started, right? But uh, it wasn't like that when I was a kid. And, you know, my dad loved it because he could pretty much set his watch on a Saturday night by how uh, long the Mass took. And uh, in the Catholic Church, they, have, they don't preach, they have a homily, right? 
And, uh, and the homily is like a whole five minutes. Like, if you get a seven-minute one, whoa, the, the, the priest was long-winded tonight. You know, I, I, I'm going to just rep, prep you right now. Dean and I are going to take longer than seven minutes tonight. I'm just, just letting you know. So I, that's what I was raised in. And, you know, uh, my parents wanted to go on Saturday night because then they'd go out to dances and stuff afterwards. And, and then Sunday morning, you didn't have to get up for church. You could just relax. So I got into that. I took that serious uh, family uh, system uh, to heart. And, uh, and I did the same thing. So after Mass on Saturday night, I'd go out. And as young as 11, 12, I'm going out and getting drunk and getting smoking weed and partying with all my buddies. And, but I was a good Catholic. I mean, I was, I was in there. You know, I'm doing all the right stuff and, and all the rest of it. I was, I was a really good, good, good boy as far as the church was concerned. And then when I finally gave my life to Christ, you know, and, uh, and my parents, they were really concerned for me. They thought I joined a cult. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they just did not understand this whole being born again thing and all the rest of it. And uh, all the other things I talked about. They didn't understand why I was reading the Bible all the time. And, and my parents were more upset about me reading the Bible than they were about me going out and partying before. And so they would, I, w- I would literally have to sneak to read the Bible. I would go to bed at night and I would turn the lights out and I'd read the Bible under the blanket so they wouldn't know that I was reading the Bible. Because <laughs> they'd get upset that I was staying up and you should be going to bed, right? But I'm reading the Word. So, you know, this was, this was my life. And so I... Uh, you know, I, I did all these uh, things before I came to Christ, and then I encountered God, and I had a grace encounter with the Lord Jesus. And, you know, my parents told my priest, and then, he, and then I decided I was going to go to Bible college, and so the priest visited our house, and he pulled up, and, and uh, he started talking with me at the house, and, and uh, he, you know, he looked at me, and he said, Kevin, what got into you? You used to be such a good boy. And I just started to laugh because, I mean, now I'm not doing any of that stuff I was doing before. Now I'm hungry for God and everything else. And I, and, uh, I said, you know what? I said, I, I would go to Mass. and Yeah, but I said, I would be partying and drunk every weekend and everything else. And he goes, yes, but you were a good Catholic. And, uh, and that's when the Lord showed me that, that being a good anything doesn't matter. All that matters is that he's good, right? And because he's good, I've been made good. On my own, the Bible says I can do what? Nothing. But through him, I can what? Do all things. Do all things. Shortly into my Christian journey, I discovered what became my life verse. It was in the, within, I think, the first month. And I've lived by this verse my whole life since then. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And it says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask or imagine or even think, depending on which translation you're reading. Ask or even think. And then it says, according to the power that is within you. Power that is within you. Now, God's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, but there's that little caveat there that always kind of bothers us, right? That little that little. Why did he have to add that on there? According to the power that is at work within you. According to the power that is at work within you. We have to understand that that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. But here's the thing. 
New Testament, New Covenant, Kingdom God, has chosen, and you don't have to like this strategy, but it's his strategy. He has chosen that he will only work on this earth through us. Now think about that for a minute. He will only, everybody say only, only work through us. Are you saying he doesn't want to do miracles on the earth apart from us? That's exactly what I'm saying. He has chosen to work through us. That is how Ephesians 3.20 says he can do it beyond what we can ask or even think, but according to something what? How much power works through us. Through us, through me individually, but me corporately. That's his plan. Now you can say that's a really bad plan. You know, the uh, pillar by night and the fire by day and the parting the Red Sea's better plan. And then you only had one guy you had to convince, and that was Moses, and he did his thing with his staff. And a better plan, God. This plan through us, bad plan, but it's his plan. He is going to work through us. God's grace is made manifest through his church. Church, it's us. We're it. Everybody say me. me. God works through me. Say God works through me. God works through me. See, I was a good Catholic, as I say, but then I got uh, saved, and I became truly good, and I became truly good by his grace. And uh, as I've told the church here, I became good for nothing. I became good, and it cost me nothing. God did it for nothing. No, no, it costs us. No, 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 no. It doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything to be made good. After you're made good, you give him everything. That's the great exchange, right? But nothing that you give him caused you to be good. It is a byproduct of being made good. We do it in response to what Jesus has done on our behalf. Nothing that I do makes me good. Nothing. Everything that is good about me, Jesus produced in me. And I believe that when I got saved, but then as I grew in Christ, it's amazing how the truth gets substituted with a lie. Anybody counter that in your Christian journey? And the lie that it got substituted with is that somehow I was the one producing the good stuff in my life. And when I see the power of God move, I thought it had something to do with what I had done, with the kind of guy that I am, with uh, how wonderful I prayed, how, how beautifully I've studied the scripture. And then although he does do it through me, he does it because of Jesus. In fact, most times he's got to move in spite of me, not because of me. Right? And I came to realize, I came to realize something. That the power of God moves in my life. Uh, not because I'm so special or because I'm smarter than everybody else or I've worked harder than anybody else. But the power of God works through my life when I'm more surrendered than anybody else. It's about me surrendering myself to Jesus so that he can work through me. It's all about surrender. It is all about surrender. You know, I was um, in Uganda in 2009, and uh, I came home with this. It does look like, you know, as an Irishman, I was attracted to it because it looked like an Irish shillelagh. Uh, and I thought maybe I'd found some of my kindred kinsmen, you know. 
although they were all seven foot tall and skinny as could be in black. But I thought maybe, <laughs> maybe I'd found my, my, my lost tribe. And, uh, and, I, and I came across, this is the hardest wood I think I've ever seen in my life. It's extremely heavy and hard. And if I was to smack this pulpit really hard, it would probably shatter the thing. Uh, and this is a Maasai Warriors Club from uh, the Uganda-Tanzania border. They live in that area. They're a nomadic people. And this is a Maasai warrior, uh, their club. So now, what would happen if you were to hit somebody in the head with that, Dean? They'd kill them. They, if they are attacked by a hyena or something, they whack the hyena in the head with this, their head explodes. This thing is deadly. It's like being hit with a sledgehammer. Uh, and if you don't believe me afterwards, you can just come up and touch it afterwards. But do not hit your husband with it. It will leave permanent damage, okay? I have to lock this up at home so Sherry's never tempted to take it out on me because this would, I would not recover. But this is a symbol of man's understanding of power, right? We think, we think that this is what we mean when we're talking about power. We're talking about something that I can wield and that I can use in some means or some way, a tool in which if I work this thing properly, I'm going to get a powerful result. I'm going to be able to, you know, knock the sense into something with this, Right? And, uh, you know, the reality is, is that this type of tool uh, may be really good for, you know, hunting, may be really good for protection or whatever, but this is not the way God works. This is not how God's uh, power operates. God's power does not operate by, you know, man's devices, by man's tools, by man's thinking. It isn't like, you know... We think that if we can just memorize all the right verses and everything else, then I've got power. And we even have metaphors in the scripture that get us thinking that way, right? The Bible's a sword. And, uh, you know, and we got the, the breastplate of righteousness and all this stuff. We love those army metaphors. But the reality is, the reality is, is that we, we operate by grace. And they almost seem to be, uh, I don't know, incongruent with each other. These metaphors and in this grace message. And God works, and the power of God works in us by his grace. We have a guy in our, our church, his name's Desi. And, uh, you know, Desi texts me little nuggets all the time. I get texts from Desi all the time, little, little nuggets. When Desi was three, I think, uh, his parents were in a very bad car accident. His younger brother was killed in the accident. His mom and dad and Desi all spent weeks and weeks in the hospital recovering and they said Desi wasn't going to live and then they said he'd never walk and then they said he'd never talk and all the rest of it and Desi has defied all of those things and then and uh, and and he's still a, a person who's recovered from brain injury so sometimes you know things like math and stuff are a little harder for him but he's a sharp guy and he texted me something the other day and uh, he's he was watching a video on television about water and uh, then he he all of a sudden lights up with something, and he texts me, and he says, he says, Pastor, he said, God always takes the path of least resistance. And I heard that, and I went, you know, because I'm always telling people, you know, the path of least resistance leads you nowhere. That, you know, you got to, you got to, if you see an enemy, you got to push against that thing, and it's going to push back against you, but then you can break through. So he, but he sends me this text, and it says, God always takes the path of least resistance. Then he's got dot, dot, dot in us. It always takes the path of least resistance in us. The path that God chooses in you is the one that you open up to him. That's the only place he's going to go. If you don't open up that area of your life to him, he's not going to go there. You've got that, that secret little habit. 
you don't open it up to him, he can't go there. You got that relationship, you got that some person you just like to strangle, you don't open that up to Jesus, he can't go there. Right? You got that, you got that, you know, little thing going on at work, you know, where you're siphoning a little bit of money off, or you're doing this, you're doing that. You don't open it up to God, he can't go there. If, if, if you're saying, you know, I, I don't know how to share my faith, I don't know how to do this, I don't know how to do that. If you don't open it up to God, he can't go there, he won't go there. He goes in the place where the least resistance is. Whenever we submit to him, whatever we surrender to him, that's where he goes. I won't get into it tonight, but I explained to this church a few years ago a revelation that I got uh, as a, an electrician, right? And I, I said, uh, and I won't get into all the theory behind it, but it's absolutely true. And every woman that I went, I was telling the story practically went, but the guys were all going, oh, yeah, you know, because the guys could relate to the trade, right? They were like, that makes sense, that makes sense. But, but here it is, it's simply this. Um, in every, all of our houses, you've got 120 volts of pressure, right? What's what hydro provides, okay? It's constant. But it's anywhere from 118 to 125. It's constant in your house. And uh, the amount of power that's in something in your house, that whatever power is moving or flowing through the wires in your house, is being pushed by a constant amount of pressure. And whether more power or less power flows is based on one thing and one thing only, how much resistance there is in whatever that particular thing is, whether it's a motor, uh, whether it's a heater, whether it's a light bulb, whatever. So the amount of power, does everybody say power? power. The amount of power flowing through something is directly connected to how much resistance there is. Are you hearing me? So like I said, I, I put all the math formulas up on the screen and everything just so I could make sure everybody understood. I won't do that tonight. But suffice it to say this. Please understand that the amount of power that flows in an electrical circuit is directly connected to how much resistance there is. And that is a metaphor for our spiritual journey. The amount of God's power that is flowing through your life, working in and through your life, is directly connected to one thing and one thing only. How much resistance there is in your life. It's not how, connected to how good you look. It's not connected to how well you sing. It's not connected to how many scriptures you have memorized or how much education you have. It's connected to one thing and one thing only. Your resistance. Your resistance. God moves in the path or in the person who puts up the least amount of resistance. That's where God moves. You want more of God's power moving through your life? There's only one way to do it. Same way you do it in the house. You want more power in a circuit? You can't crank up the voltage. Hydro is giving you just a constant amount. What do you got to do? You got to lower the resistance. You lower the resistance, the power goes up. Right? You got to lower the resistance. Wow. Moment for you right there. You can turn mine down <laughs> if it's going to squawk. Just crank her down a little bit. The reality is, is in your spiritual life, it's exactly the same way. If you want to increase the power in your life, the only way to do it, the only way, by God's grace, is to lower your resistance to God. Isn't that good news? See, Jesus is providing the, the constant pressure. He's the one that's constantly 
there, constantly making available to us all that we have need of. It's there. He provides it for us just like Ontario Hydro is providing in our homes. He's there and he's providing it. The only way to get it moving in and through my life in ever-increasing measure is to lower my resistance. God always takes the path of least resistance in you and in me. Church, we've got to stop putting up the roadblocks to the Holy Spirit. The only thing stopping God from breaking out in our city is resistance in the body of Christ. <laughs> There's nothing else. Nothing else. You know, people pray for revival. Oh, God, we need revival. We need revival. Oh, Lord, would you do this? Would you do that? And all God's sitting up there saying, I've, I've done it all already through Jesus. Just stop resisting me and let's see what we can do together. Right? Stop putting up all the roadblocks to my presence. Stop putting up all the roadblocks, church. God wants to move in power. He wants to show us his glory. He wants to reveal himself in increasing measure every day in your life. The only thing that's holding it back is our resistance. We've got to just say, God, I'm, I'm here. I'm going, to drop, I'm going to drop the guard right now. I'm going to, I'm going to have the faith. Because that's really what faith is. Lowering our resistance. It isn't some power to transform something by the, the incredible ability to believe. It's no, it's trusting God. It's lowering and dropping my guard, my resistance, so that God can do what God wants to do in my life. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me tonight. I'm just going to turn it over to Dean here in a minute. Uh, this into your life tonight. Can I do that? I want to thank you for giving me a kind of a half hour here to just crank this thing open this weekend. And, but I would really like to just uh, pour out a grace uh, tonight, if you'd receive it. Uh, just, just this weekend, could I encourage you? Uh, I, I don't know about you, I want to see God's power manifest in my life. I want to see it manifest in the bride of Christ. I want to see the kingdom of God advance. And I've, I've come to understand the only way it can happen isn't by the strength of weapon or, or of, 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 you know, man's might, but it's going to come by lowering my resistance to the Lord, putting my guard down so that the Holy Spirit can move through me. So I just want to invite you today as you hold your hands out to the Lord, say, say this with me tonight. Jesus, Jesus I make agreement, I make agreement. A, covenant a covenant with you, with you. Tonight, tonight that this weekend, that this weekend I will lower my resistance to you. I will drop the bottom out of that thing. I will lower it so that you can move in. So that you can move through. So that you can speak, you can work in me. I know that my resistance has kept you at bay. And I now know that you take the path of least resistance in me. So I lower my resistance in those areas that I have kept the walls up. I lower them tonight so that you can work through me. So that I can receive from you. And that I can be an ambassador of your grace, of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord.
That's a warm-up for tonight. Everybody turn the person beside you. That was a warm-up. That was a warm-up. That was a warm-up. Praise the Lord. Our speaker tonight. Our speaker tonight is Dean Briggs. Now, how many have heard Dean before? Let me see your hands if you've heard Dean before. All right, so you guys know what to expect. Dean, you've heard, have you heard Dean before? <laughs> Dean, Dean, is it for 10 years you've been at, with uh, iHealth? But, I only came on staff in the last few months. Okay, on the last few months. But you're coming as, you're coming as a strategic specialist, right, for them? Uh, so he's come in with IHOP in the last few months as, as their strategy specialist. He's helping them carve out the strategies that God, and to see the strategies that God is opening up before them as they move forward in the next phase of their existence. Everybody knows where IHOP is and what IHOP is? The International House of Pancakes, you guys know that, right? And, uh, yeah, steak and eggs is great, isn't it, Barry? No, you don't like it? Not there? Oh, yeah, okay. Stay with the pancakes. Stay with the pancakes. <laughs> the International House of Prayer in Kansas. And how many have been there before? Let me see your hands. All right, good. Um, well, you know, like all ministries, they're, they're looking saying, God, what do you want? What, should, what is next for us? And Dean is the person they're turning to and saying, listen, would you help us navigate these, these waters in this journey? Uh, we had Dean here. We were privileged to have him here last uh, fall as they were doing the primer for Battle for Canada. Uh, in North Battleford, uh, Saskatchewan. And so Dean came through as part of that uh, Cross Canada primer tour, and we just said, well, you know, you, you should speak on Sunday morning. And, and, and he knocked it out of the ballpark in here on Sunday morning. And uh, it was great. And uh, Dean's going to have some books available uh, you can look at this week. But I highly recommend, I don't know how many copies you brought of Ecclesia Rising, but Wow. Okay, it, it's a, an excellent book. You need to get a hold of it. If you've ever wondered what God's purpose is for his church, if you've ever wondered what, is, is it our time? Is, is it, are we it? I mean, he's going to talk to you about all that stuff in there. And uh, it is a real, real good read. And you need to tie into that. And, uh, but he, he comes here tonight uh, as somebody that's being drawn upon uh, across the nations. And I believe who is one of our influencers uh, in, in North America, and uh, helping to shape where I believe the church goes in the next uh, 20 to 30 years. And uh, we're really privileged to have him here. We, when, as soon as we started talking, we said, we need to have Dean back. Barry said, well, let's, let, you know, basically, we said, let's have a conference so we can have Dean back. So that was part of the, part of the, the impetus behind us. Let's have a conference so we can have Dean back. And uh, we're, we're really excited that, that, that you're here with us. And so I want you to stretch your hands out toward Dean tonight because I believe God's got something for us from him. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask, Lord, for an impartation from our brother tonight. Father, we're looking forward for the, for the feast that, Lord, you want to lay out before us tonight. That God, as he comes, Lord, we've, we've already declared we are here tonight lowering our resistance to what you want to uh, deposit into us. Find in us tonight, Lord, a people who have lowered that resistance so that you can make a deposit in us by Holy Spirit tonight. Father, what you have deposited in this man, may he be able to impart to us. And Father, we thank you for him tonight. We give you praise for him. We ask you to give him great liberty and great freedom tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's welcome him tonight as he comes to share with us. Pastor Kevin, Sherry, and uh, the whole fellowship here, Barry, have really enjoyed uh, growing in friendship with Barry over these last few months as the Lord has opened up opportunities in Canada. 
Um, if what Kevin just did was the warm-up, then I, I feel confident this is just the hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> because I'm, I, honestly, after spending a couple hours in the car with uh, Tony and Marilyn uh, earlier today, the, the uh, stature and, uh, of, of their lives, the presence of the Lord that they bring, the uh, uh, five minutes with them, and you know you're in the presence of a father in the kingdom. And uh, I look forward to just sitting under your ministry over these next two or three days. So um, I, uh, I was a fan of a comic strip called The Far Side growing up. And one of my favorites, one of the classic far sides, is uh, two mosquitoes on an arm. You're zoomed in real close, two mosquitoes on an arm. And one of them is swelling up like a balloon and is, you know, he's got stuck in the skin. And his friend is saying, pull out, Harry, pull out, you've hit an artery. <laughs> and uh, honestly, uh, whenever, whenever I get uh, the opportunity to talk about just a pure kingdom message and especially the nature of grace, I feel like uh, I feel like you can do it bad and still hit an artery because it's such a dear topic to the Lord. I, I don't mean you can teach it wrongly, but you can even be a bad preacher and if you're preaching a good gospel, if you're preaching the gospel of grace, the Holy Spirit will uh, cause it to be an artery of life to the people. And so uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a real privilege to be able to be a part of this. I told Barry I would rather do 100 small conferences on this topic than five conferences to 10,000 on a bunch of other stuff. This right here can change all of us. Uh, the, 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 the most singular two revelation, revolutions in human history in 33 A.D. to about 90 A.D. was all about the gospel of grace, and then it was lost for hundreds of years until a man named Martin Luther came along and rediscovered the gospel of grace, and all of human history turned upside down again. There's never been a Reformation-level event since Martin Luther and if you know your history, you know I can say that because it changed everything. It didn't just change the church. It changed national boundaries. It changed politics. It changed science and finance. It changed global systems and, and uh, theology and, and uh, church itself. It rippled across history. And we haven't had that kind of event since. In fact, I've, I, I, as I've just been pondering tonight, this is all warm-up, by the way, also. I'm just talking out loud. But as we, as we ponder where we are, and if you've walked with the Lord for a while, I'm 50 years young, but I've walked with the Lord for 45 years. I, I, I came to the Lord at five years old, and I got the full Holy Spirit, right? You don't get junior Holy Spirit. So I've been following the Lord for 45 years, and over that period of time, I've had, I mean, I can remember the Jesus movement uh, uh, changed my parents' lives, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, oh, by the way, 
let me just mention this. Because my team, Oklahoma City Thunder, is not in the playoffs, right? I plan on seven or eight altar calls tonight. <laughs> We're going to really drag this sucker out. You guys are going to be itching, looking, but you're going to feel pressure to be here. And if I see anyone heading to the door, I'm going to say, no, come on. No, I'm not going to do that. Call, call, call yeah. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, 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 I remember being so marked that when I asked to receive Jesus at five years old, it changed me the way Kevin was talking about. And from that time on, I've always sought the Lord in the midst of failure and you know, sin and issues and, and, and lots of failure. But I've always sought the Lord. And, and so over whatever, two or three decades of ministry, active ministry, I feel this sense of frustration that we're at a revelation threshold. Another one of those things that's the way God designed it is the entire system of life with God and faith is revelation-based. It started that way in the garden. It moves that way through the fact that he speaks to the prophets in Scripture. He speaks through men and women, and then we take that revelation, and he adds revelation, and, but the entire sequence of the biblical narrative is one big process of revelation. And so... A painful fact is you can't surpass your revelation. That's the way it works. You have faith according to your revelation. And when we have been doing certain things for certain ways for so long and revelation starts to grow stale, we find ourselves trying to feed the beast in other ways, whipping people up into a lather in other ways, trying to motivate or inspire or... Uh, 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 strive or do things precisely because the water level is so low in terms of revelation that there's no trigger for faith to engage God at his at, at the level of what what he's promised and <clears throat> so uh, I'm an author and I uh, I write fiction as well as nonfiction but I'm fascinated by the authorship of God. We're going to look at Hebrews here in a minute. I, 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 I have such a hard time picking a favorite book. You know, I'm in Romans and I love Romans and I don't think there's a better book than Romans until I go to Galatians and then I'm in Galatians and I think there's not a better book until I go to John and then I go to Isaiah and then, you know, and then you got to get to, I mean, you got to do Ephesians because that's clearly the best. But then we end up in Hebrews, and Hebrews is, uh, is, is magical in its own way. Uh, as an author, Hebrews is the book that says God is the author and perfecter of our faith. And as an author uh, telling the story, not nonfiction, but fiction, I like to weave in clues. A good fiction author, you can uh, see it best with a mystery novel. You know, by the end of a mystery novel when you discover that the butler did it in the living room with a candlestick, right? You have this sense of epiphany, the aha, the revelation. Epiphany is another word for revelation. That aha moment 
Because if you've been reading carefully, the author has sprinkled in a dozen clues before you get there so that by the time you get there, you have that satisfaction of, I knew it. Right? That's how you recognize a good author is if they lead you to the clues that they are scattering so that you can get revelation before others and not have to have it spelled out because when you embed clues in a story, they have a way of getting inside you out uh, beyond what uh, a pure linear nonfiction approach. I could tell you A, B, C, D, right? I, I can tell you 1 plus 1 equals 2, and that informs the mind, or I can say once upon a time, and that moves the heart. And the story of God gets inside of us with clues and and, and, and uh, he, he's, he's so careful throughout, you know, thousands of years in history and 66 books and multiple authors to leave clue after clue overlapping symbols and types and shadows that create paradigms for us so that if we're students of Scripture, we have an aha moment. And it's not just the aha moment, it's a cascade of revelation sweeping through history that hits us with the full force in the moment and we go, I get it. And once you get it, the power of revelation is once you get it, you own it. And it's not a matter of being uh, persuaded from that point in your life. Now you have something you can live in. You, you can grow in. You can possess that and take it someplace and it will take you someplace. Until you actually get it, you're constantly wondering, doubting, or unsure. But when revelation produces faith, it's a chemical reaction in the soul that changes you. So I, I, I left a clue in one of my books, uh, the, the, the first book in a five-part fiction series, it was about uh, a generation of young people that were having their identities stolen. Now, that's kind of the macro level, but I have an enemy in the book that's responsible for this, and the enemy's name was Nemesia. Now, tell me why I picked the name. I'm kind of giving it away right here. Amnesia, it's a combination of nemesis and amnesia. Nemesia. So it's the enemy of forgetfulness. And that's... If, if this generation was losing their identity because they were forgetting their names. And so that's just one example of how I, at a very imperfect human level, like to leave a little clue. It's amazing how many people read the book and don't get it, but those that do, they go, aha. And they have a different understanding of that dynamic that's happening. Well, Hebrews starts out saying, long ago, in many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Long ago, in many times, in many ways. It was a whole, whole creative way that he just kept saying it. He kept dropping clues. He kept giving revelation. He kept adding pieces to the puzzle. Long ago, in many times, in many ways. The Old Testament is replete with symbols, language, information, revelation, that you could swim in for the rest of your life and miss it all. Or you can go to the next step. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son.
When I understood that the name of this conference was going to be Kingdom Grace, I said, yes. Yes and yes. Kingdom Grace. To me, you put those two words together, and I would say you're talking sonship. If we're talking kingdom grace, we're talking sonship. Now, I'm putting that out there because I'm not going to talk as directly about sonship, but long ago and many times in many ways, God found fit to talk about a lot of stuff for a lot of reasons, but when he says in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, what he's saying is all of that was about this. Everything that I previously told you was so that I could get to the good part. But so that the language and vocabulary would be rich enough that we would not think lightly of that revelation of the Son. The whole power of, of, of a metaphor and type and shadow is it's the building blocks of revelation. It's the rudimentary pieces so that when we get to the real thing, our understanding is robust enough in principle to recognize the superior when it has arrived. And Hebrews makes the case all throughout on the superiority of Christ. That's the theme of the book over and over again. What Romans is to the logic of grace and the the betterness of grace Hebrews is to the superiority of Christ to Moses over and over that's all it's talking about the need for faith because the son has come and that's how God's talking to us and if God's talking to us in this last days by the son we need to make sure we're talking what he's talking because we can spend a lot of words not getting anywhere talking about old things the old things are telling us of a new thing. I want to live in the new thing. And this is part of the revelation threshold that I think we're at. I think God is anxious. In fact, if you understand uh, 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 something like Romans 8, uh, that the whole earth groans. That's a powerful statement to say. The whole earth groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. Everyone just... Be quiet for a second. Close your eyes. You don't hear it. I don't hear it. But right now the earth is groaning. You can open your eyes. The earth is groaning. For sonship to be revealed in fullness in people. That's what Kevin was just saying. The power that works within us. And the earth itself is throwing out hurricanes. My mom's house in Oklahoma is under four feet of water right now. Largest flood in the history of the Arkansas River. There's, there's tremblings as the earth groans, saying, when will a people arise who manifest the fullness of the stature of Christ? So there's phrases 
all through Hebrews, and I'm just going to have you say some of these, and I appreciate Pastor Kevin doing this. Uh, There's this thing in us that doesn't want to be told what to do, (laughs) but it's important, actually, when a pastor says, hey, say this. It's actually putting the word in your mouth because when you say it, your heart tends to agree with it. And you nudge one step closer, just a little bit. That's the point of every, uh, every prayer, every message ending with amen. Amen means so be it. it. It means I agree. And so when we put the word in our mouth and we say it together, there's agreement that the Spirit bears witness to. And without even knowing it, you inch a little bit more into conformity with what you just confessed. So Hebrews has all these wonderful phrases, the word of righteousness. Say the word of righteousness. The word of right, full assurance of hope. The steadfast anchor of the soul. Let's get this one. The law made nothing perfect. There are promises that are much more excellent and better promises. These are are all phrases, I'm just lifting out a few, that are Hebrews telling us that whatever God did long ago in many ways, He did to help us with language and understanding so that we would see and recognize the better when it came. And out of that revelation, our loyalty, our affection, our personal liberty, our identity, our ability to process these divine dynamics that can seem elusive at times. If we, if we get the right code base and it translates into revelation and we grab hold of it by faith, suddenly... We're thrust into the dimensions of talking what he's talking in these last days, which is conformity to the image of his son. And so all of Hebrews is describing the betterness of Jesus as the revelation of Christ, uh, as the revelation of God to us, and how it is superior in every way to what we think is magnificent. See, if you ask the average Christian, would you rather be alive now or in the time of Moses seeing the pillar of fire, the cloud by day, the seas part, all those things, right? Elijah uh, and the whirlwind and the Gehazi and his eyes opened and the, you know, the angels and the, all the stuff that we look back and we go, wow, if only I was alive back then, I wouldn't doubt. Well, Yes, you would. You and I would be right there with all the other Israelites. Grumbling at God, fussing at Him, doubting, wondering why. Because what they had was purely external to them. The kingdom of God is within you. And it is why they, it says, they long to see. Those guys long to see what you are living in. The most average believer now is the envy of Moses. Is the envy of David. Is the envy of Elijah. 
Jesus said, no one's greater than John the Baptist, who was the last representative of the law, but the least of those born into the kingdom is greater than him. Everyone in this room has been divinely upgraded to dimensions that 4,000 years of saints would have begged to touch. And we are looking back to them for inspiration. This is why we need a revelation upgrade. We have to start to understand the privilege that we have been brought into so that when we sit in the seats we sit in and we go through our normal day and we hit the challenges of life and we struggle and feel like, God, where are you? That's what they asked because they had no assurance that he was with them. He might be, he might not. You can know he is with you. You can know he is always with you. Why? Because there's a revelation that is meant to bring that he's actually inside you. And you can't go anywhere from his presence. Not to the highest heaven or the deepest hell or the worst of your problems without him being right with you. This is the problem that I have with WWJD. Because it externalizes the indwelling Christ and it makes me say, what would Jesus do? I'm going to come over here and dial him up. It's a great book. I know it's touched a lot of lives. But the problem is, you don't need to go looking for Jesus to ask. He's taking up residence inside you. But if we don't know that and believe it, then we are living as paupers while actually being billionaires. Okay. Now I'm going to get somewhere. Hebrews 9, I, I kind of assume if you're here, this matters more to you than the raptors, so I'm not going to apologize for going past 9. <laughs> uh, Hebrews 9, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the most holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, which was holding, in which a golden urn held manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy, mercy seat. He lays out all these incredible things, and then he drops this little bomb. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. And he moves on. It's like, wait. You just told me in a few sentences everything that represented the most terrible power center, the most glorious access point, the rarest touch point. That, what he just described in five sentences and then says, actually, we can't talk about that much. I'm moving on. That was what defined Israel as the people of God, it was that Israel alone had a place they could go to where God himself dwelt among them. No other nation could say that. Israel could, and it all had to do with the Ark of the Covenant. It all had to do with this tent in a wilderness 
that had an outer court, an inner court, and the Holy of Holies. And it describes, it says, this order of worship had regulations associated with it. Well, yeah, it did. If you go back and look in Leviticus 16, Aaron's sons were dead because they had taken light of the regulations for worship. And God was instructing Moses, don't go in that place without blood. Now we read about the Ark of the Covenant and we have Raiders of the Lost Ark in our mind and we have some cool special effects and we know it's about power and glory and we think, wow, that's awesome. But only one guy once a year could get in there. The regulations of worship actually were designed to prevent. So you have this tertiary access. The 12 tribes were arranged around the presence, but people didn't get access. In fact, when they saw, as Pastor Kevin said, when they saw the kind of access Moses had and how he came back, they all voluntarily said, you go do it for us. This is terrifying to us. We don't want anything to do with this. You just be our representative. And God lays out a pattern that has a whole bunch of in instruments and stages. And it's actually all about the progression that we can uh, have into fellowship with God. And that the different pieces all are highly representative of, of uh, the construction of the human soul and how God works in us. And yet... And yet these are rudimentary elements that are a part of what Hebrews 1.1 starts out saying. That's actually not the fullness of revelation. That's just a fraction of the revelation. Hebrews uses the phrase more than once. Types and shadows. Copies and shadows. Copies of heavenly things. There was a copy of the heavenly tabernacle on earth. That was a, the, the copy meant there's a pattern in heaven that was being duplicated. But the copy itself was talking about us. That's why you understand the tabernacle is a picture of you, right? Does everyone get that? The, the tabernacle isn't a picture of access to God. It's a picture of your possession of God. The tabernacle, that's why it was wrapped in skin. It wasn't made out of linen the whole thing was wrapped in skin and it was a tripartite division, the outer court, inner court, holy of holies, the body, the soul, the spirit because that's the construction of creation. All of, all of matter, there's, there's a gaseous state, a liquid state, a solid state. Everything is a copy of God's divine construction. There's... There's three in one, and so you have the elements are three in one. Liquid, gas, solid. You're three in one, body, soul, spirit. The universe is celestial, terrestrial, and quantum. It, it operates at three levels. The earth itself is the holy of holies because the outer flung parts of the universe have no uh, uh, access to the presence of God except that he is everywhere but not in an intimate relational way. The Milky Way galaxy is the outer court. Earth is the Holy of Holies. So 
On multiple levels, God keeps telling us this story over and over again. And the tabernacle wrapped with skin has at its heart the presence of God, but under the old covenant, that was restricted to one person. And it was a uh, very incomplete picture of what we have been brought into. So in chapter 9, we're about to have a full, discussion, a full discussion of the superiority of the blood of Christ. I'm not going to get to those verses. We know the blood of Christ grants us unrestricted access to the Father. But here in these verses where he says, I can't actually talk about that. I'm getting on to that other stuff. We're reminded that the prior version of access that God allowed for his presence involved going through a series of staged, veiled uh, incrementally more difficult and restrictive processes to get to where God was. And all of that involved a divine box, the proximity to which man could enjoy one man, a high priest, in proximity to that divine box could behold the presence of God, be in the presence of God and live. And he tells us what the divine box is all about. It's covered in gold. It's overshadowed by cherubim. And that is called the mercy seat. And in Leviticus 16 it says God would come and hover above in a cloud above the mercy seat. The presence of God would appear in the holy of holies. And that thing is called the ark of the covenant. But what makes it the ark of the covenant? Inside there were three things. The tables of the testimony, the tablets of the covenant, Aaron's rod that budded, and a pot of manna. Now, if you were trying to just lose your, your Christian understanding of all I'm describing, and you were told about, about this awe-inspiring, supernatural box that had these mystery contents, and, and God himself was there, I don't think you would pick a pot of bread and a dried up stick and a couple of rocks. I mean, if you just think about it, the Ark of the Covenant was an awe-inspiring reality. And yet, why those things? Why that construction? Why those vessels hidden inside? Why this process? Here again, we must be vigilant to ask and remember and keep at the forefront of our thoughts when it says the tablets of the covenant. That's what Hebrews 9 says here. The tablets of the covenant are inside. Which covenant? See, we hear the word covenant used so liberally. Scripture is divided into the old covenant and the new covenant. Moses had a covenant. Noah had a covenant. Abraham had a covenant. There's all this covenant language and we don't understand, we don't take the time to get the revelation and so we're limited if we don't understand which covenant we're talking about. Because we blur it all together and we think, well, I'm in the new covenant and so this must be talking about me and I got to do what that's saying and it all gets smeared together when really if we just give the spirit room with some anointed instruction in the word to tease these things out, 
all of a sudden things make sense that haven't made sense and we get a revelation upgrade. That's what I'm hoping for to, uh, over the course of these two or three days. Because the tablets of the covenant that were in the ark, excuse me, was the old covenant. The tablets of the covenant was the law of Moses. Now hold on to that. I want to give six quick observations. The Old Covenant partially and incompletely points to the New. But if you look just the verse before where we started in Hebrews 9.1, it says, the law has been made obsolete. Now there's a whole sermon I'd like to give on that. Because that is strong language. You know what obsolete means? Rendered useless for service. Imagine if you went to NASA to watch in 10 years the landing on Mars. First humans landing on Mars. You're going and you know, you have visions in your head of 3D holographic technologies demonstrating all the stuff, the computer hardware is out the wazoo. It's, it's just, a, you know, rooms m many times this size with all of the latest cutting-edge technology to watch as NASA lands men on Mars for the first time. And instead, you go in, and it's six guys with an Atari joystick. And they're sweating bullets, right? Because they're trying to control something several hundred million miles away with nothing but obsolete technology. Imagine if you'd go and say, guys, I'll take you to the Apple store. We can get some upgrades. We, we've actually got a lot better stuff. And they're like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. I, we got this. And the six guys sweating bullets trying to land a thing on a planet 100 million miles away with absolutely outdated, useless technology for the purpose. And, and the, the book of Romans is telling us, guys, he's so much better. He's the upgrade. I'm not talking in many times, in many ways, through the prophets in types and shadows. The real thing has come. I'm talking about the son and sonship. And he brings grace to make you like him. And if you're trying to do it according to the old covenant, you're, you got a joystick. And he is orders of magnitude better. So that's the verse before where he talks about getting into the presence. So the old covenant, the tablets that are in that ark are partial and incomplete and point to the new, but they're actually totally obsolete in comparison to it. Number two, God is enthroned over this divine box and his enthronement is rooted in mercy. I can't pull on all the verses I would like to. I'm just telling you the language of the first few verses there. It was called the mercy seat for a reason. The enthronement of God is rooted in mercy. Number three, the old covenant is tokenized in three ways. What I mean by that is this story shows us with, with uh, pictures and symbols and hints and clues that inside the box is uh, uh, three elements in the old covenant. 
the manna, which was the daily sustaining provision of God. But more specifically, Jesus in John 6 said, that manna was pointing to me. I'm revelation that comes out of heaven. So in the Old Testament, they put manna. God said, stick a pot of manna in there because it's going to bear witness of the one who's coming. Have a pot of manna. I took care of my people with daily sustenance. But Jesus came along and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of heaven. And he was the word, John says, the word made flesh. So when he said, I'm the bread that came down out of heaven, he's saying everything you think in sentimental ways about how God cared for you and revealed himself to you in that, that daily manna, I'm that manna. I am the divine messenger come down from heaven, eat my bread. So manna as the revelation about the person and mission of Jesus, Aaron's rod, which was the validation of the true priesthood. When there was a, a, a contention about, well, why does Aaron get to be the priest? And there was struggle and strife. God told Moses, everyone, all, all the fathers of the houses, take a staff. We're going to lay it before the presence of the Lord. And whichever staff buds, that's my appointed priesthood. So Aaron's staff was a dead stick of wood. Imagine that whatever, yeah, imagine if we laid this here on the stage and we came back tomorrow and this was filled with buds and fruit. It had blossomed and the blossoms had produced almonds. So in one night, a dead stick disconnected from life is producing fruitfulness and uh, fully mature fruit. That was the miracle that validated the priesthood. It's the process of priesthood that raises from the dead. It's a resurrection message and bears full fruitfulness. That's how I'm going to validate the true priesthood. So it was a pot of manna revealing Christ. It was a resurrection message that validated the true priesthood. And it was the tablets of the covenant. Now, here's the kicker. Once a year on the day of atonement. That's atonement, right? Atonement is atonement. What was divided and separated is now brought together and rejoined and made one. Once a year on the day of atonement, blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat and God came down. Why? Why that day? Why that box? Why that place? And we look at the regulations of worship and we get it wrong. We say... If we do it right enough, then we can be a part of that regulatory process so that we can get inside. You can be in the new covenant and live with an old covenant heart. I'm going to talk on Saturday about those in the old covenant that lived with a new covenant heart. You actually aren't bound to the time you live in, you're bound to the revelation you have. So, these regulations of worship, and we read about that, we see that word covenant, and we think Hebrews is telling us, this is what we've got to do. But no, it wasn't because everything was done right. It was because everything was under the blood. The law of Moses was brought under the blood. 
the things in the box. We're talking about getting revelation of Jesus coming down out of heaven. You're going to know him as the true priest because he's going to raise from the dead. He's going to produce full fruitfulness in his people and the law will be satisfied only by him. So all of that is brought under the blood and in that environment, which in the old covenant is prophesying its inability to actually produce that, but it's looking to the one who can. And so the priesthood of that day was drawing on the future promise of Christ revealed because everything the law demanded and required and the people could not comply with, it wasn't about the process being right enough, it was about the blood being good enough. And now the law is brought under the blood and the box is saying, there's one coming and you can borrow on that. You can borrow on that even back then, but now we get to be the ones that possess it. Praise the Lord. The code of law was brought under the blood. Now remember, the law is the letter that kills, but the Spirit gives life. And out of that we get a revelation of Christ crucified and validated as our only high priest, resurrected as the one and only path to his presence. That's what the box is telling us. This means, of course, that all our fleshly labors and self-righteousness, which the law both inflames and ensures our failure in, by which it then condemns us. How's that for a raw deal? We subscribe to that over and over again. It's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to think that's the way it's supposed to be done. I'm going to try. It knows I'm going to fail. And as soon as I fail, it's going to condemn me, by which it convinces me I need to try harder. And that's the cycle we do over and over and over again when we try to get into the regulations of worship rather than bringing things under the blood. The paradigm shift we need, the revelation upgrade, is that paradigm itself, a paradigm shift, is really what true repentance is, not penance thinking. The new covenant, the sixth observation, and I'll close with this, is not primarily about the removal of sin but the restoration of righteousness that's why Hebrews is talking about the word of righteousness what's the word of righteousness what is the anchor that holds us uh, uh, a steadfast in hope what is the better promise what is the ministry that's higher than angels So the new covenant is also tokenized or, or forecast in three ways. The gold-wrapped box indicates, see gold is a picture of the glory. The new Jerusalem is covered in gold. The glory of God is everywhere. The walls are gold, the streets are gold, the measuring rod that John is, the angel is given to measure the city. It's like measure it with gold. Everywhere you go is gold and it's protected by gold because the glory of God covers all. And so the glory of God is, 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 is represented in Scripture by gold 
Therefore, the Ark of the Covenant is covered in gold as a picture that only His glory can actually... uh, When Moses said, I'm begging you, let me see your glory. What did God respond? I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to show you all my goodness. God, show me your glory. And we think there's going to be thunder and lightning and earthquakes and stars falling out of the sky. And God says, get ready because you have no idea how good I am. So the glory of God is his goodness which can hold the condemnation of the law. Which can rise from the dead. Which can bear witness out of heaven on earth and bear the pain of that. The glory of God is that which wraps up and surrounds what we cannot bear. So that his goodness is all that's left to us. And the cherubim overshadow this as a picture. The cherubim are those upon which God is enthroned in heaven. So for there to be cherubim on the earth at the mercy seat is saying... We come into his presence by mercy. His glory takes the burden of that which we cannot fulfill. And we get elevated with the angels back to the place that we were meant to occupy and beyond. Lewis Berry Chafer says that angels in the Old Testament were called the servants of God, the sons of God, and men were called the servants of God. But in the New Covenant, it's reversed. Men are the sons of God and angels are the servants of God. You have been promoted in the new covenant because of what transpires in that place where the blood is applied and all the things that, get ha- that, that happen there once and for all. It says in, in Hebrews, he has perfected for all time those that are being sanctified. You say, yeah, but I'm being sanctified and it hurts and I'm groaning and I feel so inadequate. Well, yes, that's the process of sanctification, but don't cut out the first part. You've been perfected for all time. Your access into that place is not dependent on your regulation of worship. It is dependent on what he did to supply all that you could not. And that's his glory. It's his goodness to you. I've done it. Will you take it? And in the process, the cherubim are there to tell you, I'm elevating you to places that earth cannot keep you from going. I'm elevating you to the full stature of access to the very throne of God. I'm elevating you with a mindset of sonship so that you can start to think and act and become like the one I'm going to show you. He's coming. The bread's coming down out of heaven. You're going to eat from him and be transformed into that. And he says, Jesus later says, uh, 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 he was not ashamed to call us his brethren. Romans says, we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. And if you've been raised with him and seated with him in heavenly places, then we rule from that place where the angels serve at the throne of God. You now have access. And the question is, do we know it? Do we believe it? Do we think like it? Do we act like it? Do we sit there and know it? Or are we going day after day with an old covenant paradigm just trying to think, how can I please God enough? How can I do it right enough? So that he'll let me into the place where that God-man tore a veil to make sure you never ask that question again. 
He tore the veil and religion has been stitching it up again for 2,000 years. And this is why it's the mercy seat. Because it's too good to be true, but it's true. There's all the clues. I'm going to give you more, God willing. I'm a little afraid once I hear Tony talking, I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, I got to go that direction because that was so good. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to try to touch that or follow that. Plus, he's going to be popcorning inspiration in me for this, that, and the other. So God willing, I'm going to come and talk about some <laughs> other parts of Scripture that are pointing to this. But when you see something, you know, if you see something once, you think, oh, that's good. But if you see it over and over and over and over and over and over, and God is telling it in many times and many ways. He's saying 4,000 years of revelation starts in the garden. So much prophetic movement and stirring. And it's all happening so that we could be at a, at a moment of revelation upgrade and the Spirit could breathe across the land and in rooms like this, in three days like this, He could go, Whoo! and all of a sudden everyone is caught up into another dimension for which the earth itself is groaning and begging you to enter into. Let's stand Thank you, Lord. God, we just acknowledge your great, your greatness, your goodness, your mystery and sovereignty, and the kindness with which you have constructed as the author and perfecter of our faith, the storyline of God in our own lives throughout history, so that we could come to a moment like this. God, I ask that we would not miss a moment like this. As Pastor Kevin said, oh God, lower our resistance. God, where it sounds too good, too big, too crazy. Oh God. Hebrews 3 and 4. Don't come to this place of revelation where you could cross over into a promise and shrink back. Don't hear the good news preached and proclaimed and the revelation of the Son and your sonship in Him, and fail to believe. God, we are asking in equal measure the humility to not think we are the exception to your promise. The faith that invites revelation and responds to it, and the upgrade to our spirit that happens as a result. God, I'm asking for paradigm shifts. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to be rich and present in the ministry of the word, that that manna coming down from heaven, that you would, uh, from that place within where we have all invited you, and we now occupy the privilege of being the tabernacle of God on earth, and the Holy of Holies is within us, and you're whispering to us out of the old covenant ark that we get to carry the new covenant reality. Oh God, I'm asking that this would shake us and wake us and quake us and bake us. 
God, that we would come out of the heat of this with, with uh, God, that we would drink deep. Oh, God, I'm asking that we would drink deep, that our spirits would drink this deep and say yes. And we lower our resistance. Come rushing in. Holy Spirit, come rushing in. Fill us. Fill us. Oh, that, that tent wrapped in skin. You were telling us, that's us. You, you, the place of your dwelling. You chose that place, and that place is me. That place is us. That place is this place right here, right now. I just encourage you, right now, I mean, we'll go, we're about to go catch the raptors, but listen, let God sink his teeth in you. Just say yes. Just say, I don't even get half of what he said. I don't even get half of it, but God, reveal it to me by your spirit, and I say yes to the goodness. I say yes to the promise. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Say yes to that. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the, the invitation to have your life in a new way brought into the revelation that it's all under the blood. And that resurrection authority of your own priesthood is rising in you right now. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit. And God help the Raptors win. Amen. Yeah, amen. Can we give God a hand clap of praise for that tonight? Wow. Okay. Are you like me tonight? You've been taking a drink from a fire hose. (laughs) Say, give me eyes to see. see. Say, give me eyes to see. see. Ears to hear. hear. And a mind to perceive perceive. what the Spirit is saying to us. We can only move at at the speed of revelation. We can only, we can, we can't. Go beyond, and, and this, is, this is a weekend that I, I feel that we are breaking out of a paradigm paralysis and that we are going to begin to think beyond and think according to original intent and begin to think the way God thinks and we're going to begin to act like he is because we're going to begin to speak like he speaks. Uh, but, I, I, oh my God, that was good. Uh, we, we, you, this is being recorded. It will be on our, our website, but also on our, our, our um uh, app. So you can just go on the app and, and, and re-listen to this because this this was essential and very good. And you know what? I, I'm 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 almost uh, just skin. It's true. It, it was not in in a, a cotton. It was wrapped in skin. The the tabern- I am the tabernacle. And now we, because of the blood, because of the payment, all accessibility granted to the Holy of Holies. Yes. Amen. Yes. So we, we, ah, my God. I, oh, Lord. Um, in the Old Testament, the, the angels were referred to as the sons of God, and we were referred to, come on. Yes, did you hear that? And now the much more excellent covenant comes, and we are the sons of God, and they're the servants. 
ministering spirits come to this. But you even have the four living creatures that are around the throne that have eyes all around and eyes within, and they're, they're, they're around looking for revelation. But we are the upgrade. So if they can see with eyes all around and eyes within, how much more can we see? Father, help us see this weekend. Help us get a glimpse of your glory, Lord God, that, that makes us say, oh, my God. Help us this weekend, Lord God. We have feasted, Lord God, and, uh, on your word and on revelation tonight, Lord God. And I, and I thank you, Lord God, that, that we, are, we, are growing, we are growing, Lord God, by the ongoing progressive revelation, Lord God, that you're pouring out upon our lives, that, that we're not living by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And I thank you, Father God, tonight that we're beginning to, we're beginning to receive the dissemination, Lord God, tonight, that we're beginning to absorb this now word. Lord God, I'm asking for that an anointing, Father God, to begin to absorb, Lord God, and assimilate into our DNA, Lord God, and unveil. The more we hear, the more is unveiled. Get ready to be unveiled this weekend. I don't know, Pastor, if you wanted to say anything else. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Wow, I don't know what you, my, my head aches and my spirit yearns after, after one night. My word, that was incredible. Yeah. I felt like, uh, Dean, you were taking a can opener and cracking around the outside of my skull and, and then just taking a spoon and just kind of scooping stuff out because oh, really I thought, man, I, I, I'm just, I, I, don't, I felt, I said, I'm stupid. I don't even know. I, <laughs> I said, I need, I need help to understand everything. I'm yeah, just going to help me, Lord. But uh, thankfully, it is being recorded so we can listen to it again. I said to Cheryl, I said, I'll need to listen to this about 20 more times before I fully get everything that he has said tonight. Uh, so I, I hope, were you as blessed as I was tonight? I mean, come on, amen. Now, listen, uh, I meant it when I said that, that, you know, we're bringing you the best uh, this weekend. So I want you to grab three or four more people and bring them out tomorrow morning. Because you get another dose of the best tomorrow morning. All right. Uh, tomorrow uh, is tomorrow is Tony Day. So you got t Tony in the morning and Tony in the evening, and we're gonna get we're gonna get Tony and and better than Tony the Tiger. Uh, you know this this is this is gonna really if you've not heard Tony before, uh, he's 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 you know the greatest I think daddy I think to talk about in the the the. the you know, the miracle of the kingdom, the wonder of the kingdom, what we have as sons. Uh, he also, uh, the first time I heard Tony, uh, he just cracked my head open. And, uh, and so he, he, I, inter I interrupted ruined, him. Ruined I interrupted him when he was speaking, didn't I, Barry? You did. I, I, I interrupted yeah. him and I, and I started arguing with him and they're going to kind of having a conversation in the middle of the <laughs> 40 people sitting around and, and I'm having my own private conversation with him while he's talking. Apostles and, from uh, around the world. Yeah, exactly. There. All there in in in, no! in Kansas, no! actually, you know. So uh, anyway, all tied together because we were down in in Missouri, right? Missouri, yeah. We were there. So anyway, yeah. So um, uh, you know, just honestly, just come and, and be prepared to be really uh, changed and challenged again tomorrow. Uh, I'm just going to pray a blessing over you tonight as you go home and rest and and come early tomorrow. Be ready. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much. Wow. For everything that's been imparted tonight. Shoo. And Lord, we're just saying, God, what you have for us tomorrow, we can't wait. 
we can't wait, Lord. It's going to be good. Uh, we're Father, we're all, we're all kind of tingling, uh, pins and needles kind of thing going through us. We're anticipating what you're going to do tomorrow. We look forward to it, God. We're going to have a good cup of coffee in the morning, and then we're going to settle in, and we're going to be blessed. And, Father, we thank you today. We look forward to tomorrow. Father, we look forward to, to Father, the rest of the weekend. And, Father, uh, Saturday, Sunday going to be awesome, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 See you tomorrow morning. And... Uh,